on this. Okay, well, I'd like to welcome uh, everyone in for this uh, security sessions conversation we're having. I'm excited to bring everyone in. I think each uh, participant here brings some incredible value, especially around the conversation of maturing a mature organization security position. Um, we're seeing, and it's not hard to do a quick Google search every day. Some new organization is getting hacked, is getting breached, and the dollar value associated with those breaches going up and up. It's actually uh, three years in a row, the number keeps rising, um, and we're over $4 million of the average uh, data breach. So I wanted to bring together some thought leaders in this space and discuss how organizations can approach that and uh, some of the best practices that you know organizations can implement moving into 2023. So uh, just to do a quick roundtable of who's here, uh, Jason, Lee, Stas, um, thanks for being here. And uh, Jason, if you wouldn't mind, maybe introduce yourself, um, kind of where you're at and what you're working on these days. Sure. Yeah, Jason Wilcox, uh, head of technology with a company called Jerry. Uh, we're based out of Palo Alto, California. We work with a variety of consumers. Uh, we have an automated insurance uh, and automated finance uh, app that uh, works great. So check it out. Um, but uh, as far as what I do as the head of technology, part of my scope involves governance, risk, and compliance, the GRC, uh, information security, and information technology, right? So a lot of education and prevention and, and how do we uh, really make sure that our consumers' data is secure, that even our own users' data is secure, and uh, you know, if something were to happen, how do we uh, appropriately mitigate and respond to those situations? That's excellent. Cool. Uh, thanks for the intro. Uh, Lee, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Lee Lottie. I am VP of Information Technology at Pawnee Leasing Corporation. Uh, Pawnee is a part of a nationwide organization of companies that provide leasing and equipment finance to small and mid-sized businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, we're owned by a Canadian income, com uh, income group as our parent company, but we run pretty much as a sole um, independent entity under them. Uh, we provide financing up to about $250,000, $300,000 on equipment for businesses. So if you're a large business looking for a $5 or $10 million lease, you won't be coming to us. But if you're a small business or an independent company, we could possibly be a source. Um, like Jason, I am responsible for information security uh, in addition to uh, operations, hardware, help desk, infrastructure. Um, it's our my team's responsibility to keep the company up and running and to keep the data safe. So we're not quite as large. We've got about 27, 28,000 active contracts on our in our portfolio at the moment. Um, but where we have smaller number, smaller sizes and bigger numbers, our portfolio is about 1.3, 1.4 billion. So our uh, data security is definitely one of our big um, concerns. We want to make sure that we keep everybody's data, whether they have just done an application with us or whether they have an active lease, uh, we need to keep that data secure. And also the same for our employees as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Th thanks for the intro. And uh, Jason and Lee, I know you guys are both residing in Colorado. You got a little dusting of snow. Um, I, I hope you have a, a little mild winter, um, but but who knows? We're, we're, I'm out of here in New York. Uh, we haven't had a, a heavy snow in a while. So uh, hopefully this year is a little mild as well. Yeah, uh, um, hence the sweater this morning. A couple of days ago, it was a short sleeve shirt. So. Well, uh, and we also have Stas with us. Stas, I know uh, 
sometimes it's hard to know where you are. You're in Brooklyn yesterday. I think you're in uh, Ottawa today. I'm, yeah, I'm in Ottawa today, sitting in a sitting in a hotel room in a suit. But no, I'm here. I'm here for a conference. Um, uh, so quick intro on me. Uh, my name is Saspajika. Um, I'm an information security professional. I've been in this space for 20 plus years. Um, I've been a CISO for. Uh, for multiple organizations, uh, predominantly in financial services, um, we um, we started Compile as an end-to-end -end information security automation platform uh, two years this month, um, and we're yeah you know, we're just dealing with uh, with the day-to-day -day, uh, information security needs of our customers and um, you know and what's what's happening in this rapidly changing industry. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's uh, it's certainly rapidly changing, and I think uh, part of this whole conversation of bringing the three of you together was just um, is kind of understanding. I think a little deeper, uh, you know, as we're moving into 2023, how mature organizations should be thinking about evaluating their security posture. Um, so I'll kind of start right there, and Lee, I want to toss it back to you, um, and just kind of, kind of take it from that point. Um, how do you, how do you think about or how would you suggest an organization goes about uh, kind of evaluating, hey, are, are we actually secure? Are we safe? Maybe you, you know, maybe they, an organization noticed someone in their industry just got uh, hacked or, or there was a breach or an issue. How do you then evaluate your current security posture? Yeah, we've we've lucked out as an organization. Our executive team understands that a data breach is probably the largest risk to our organization. Mm. Um, we've been around 40 years. We've seen economic downturns. We've lived through the dot-com bust. We lived through um, the recession in 2009. We've gone through the pandemic and come back bigger and better every time. Um, we've seen our charge-off rates and, and non-accrual numbers skyrocket in those, but that is still um, nothing in comparison to what could potentially happen to us with a, a data breach. So luckily, it's not difficult to get executive buy-in here at my organization, which I know there are other organizations out there that have a much harder time. Um, we've kind of always had that mentality. We started really looking at our cybersecurity um, journey. And it really is a journey. Um, it's never ending. It's something you're always going to be looking at because it's constantly changing. But we started in 2016 and we brought in a consultant to help us get an initial roadmap in place. And then we've kind of developed that since then, expanded on it, added additional things to our um, tool set and what we do. The biggest thing, in my opinion, is if you don't have the expertise, is finding a company that you can work with who can be a trusted partner and help you do some analysis to say, okay, are we in, um, are we doing the things that we need to? You're going to want to be doing some kind of proactive testing, penetration testing, uh, evaluations of your environment. Do you have policies in place? If you don't, those are first things that you probably should do because the policies are really what's going to help drive the rest of the activity. In you, in what you're looking at in doing your cybersecurity maturity. Yeah, I mean that's that's in, that's a great insight, um, Jason. Kind of tossing it over to you. Uh, going off the 2022 IBM cost of a data breach report, 83% of organizations that uh, were kind of surveyed experienced uh, more than one data breach. Right. So uh, I'm just curious. Right. 
if if one data breach isn't um, a precursor. Um, and, and listen, I mean, that, that's not to say that these companies weren't looking to mature their security postures. It just means that they're continued to have more issues. Um, so kind of like, you know, looking at 2023 this year wrap up, what are what are ways that organizations can go about about kind of mitigating their risk, um, you know, from the ground floor? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, if you look at that report, it, it doesn't surprise me that they found, you know, the largest causes, right? Like leaked user credentials, you know, and yeah. most of the time it, it tracks back to a user, right? So the approach that we take, you know, being uh, FinTech, right? And working with lenders, we have some pretty strong standard frameworks out there that are excellent guides and kind of roadmaps to, you know, how we implement different security components and, and uh, you know, how we continue to mature and evolve our posture. Um, so for me, really, it's about educating the end users. You know, they are ultimately uh, the biggest source of trouble, right? And it's not necessarily that they they mean to be, that's certainly not it, but you have competing factors, right? You have security that we want to keep things secure and we want to implement a variety of different administrative technical controls, you know, to do that. And when we do that, that at times hampers someone's efficiency and productivity. Um, and so you, again, you have these competing, you know, demands where a user is trying to get things done, right? Now we have this work from home. And so you have a lot more people that are working remotely. Um, and so for us, again, it's, it's education. It's, it's really driving consumers, consumers, our users to understand what role that they play in security, how I can go out and buy tons of different software and all sorts of different uh, providers, but none of it's going to mean anything if if they don't know that they are an active part of what we have to do to make sure that our environment's secure and that makes sure that our consumers' data secure, that our data secure, you know, that we maintain that. And so they really have to have buy-in to how critical and integral they are, uh, you know, within that framework. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Uh, Stas, kind of, kind of just to get your thoughts on this, um, you know, yeah. baseline ways to improve, uh, improve your security posture. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I completely agree, um, you know, with both, uh, with both Lee and Jason, like, um, um, I'm literally, I'm literally at a conference right now. And like the, the number, the three top, issues that are being discussed are skill shortages, uh, user literacy, and uh, um, and like how, how we get more people involved in this space. And um, it's, it's just funny because um, uh, to get users to get users to pay attention to what what you know what's going on in an organization, especially from a security perspective, uh, often there's a lot of pushback or it's a checkbox exercise um, to get them to actually understand the risks that they impose to the actual organization um, if they don't um, you know if they don't actively participate or pay attention, uh, you know it, it becomes very detrimental to the business, especially in what you know depending on what that business is doing. Um, just going back to Lee's point on um, you know on the roadmap, I mean and and this this all being a journey, it, this is. Yeah, I tell this to like all of our customers. They're like, "Well, you know, we've done this, and um, you know, we, we, you know, we've built this up. Um, now, uh, you know, it, essentially, like, what are the next steps? How do we build on this? It's it's always putting in the, in that putting down that foundation to be to be able to build off of it. And oftentimes, like we, um, you know, going into an organization that has no policies, and then having to explain to them why policies are important, and then have to actually have to get them implemented, and then actually be able to put uh, stats against." If, if people are actually following the policies or not. 
Um, but then actually maintaining all of that, um, it becomes really, um, you know, it, it, that's where the tricky part comes in. So like, it's not just, you know, fire once and forget, like you need to, you need to constantly build off the foundation, but you have to maintain the foundation at the same time. And I think a lot of organizations forget that. And you can see that with the, like, just going back to the, the original point about the skill shortages, like a lot of organizations, they spend, they spend a lot of this time, um, you know, building, building all this stuff out. But then if they have a change in that team or uh, org structure and, you know, the CISO leaves and they do often like 18 months is the average, average time for a CISO, um, all that stuff falls by the wayside and then they have to start it all over again. And um, it's just, um, yeah, like there's um, it, it, the most important thing is, is honestly just starting on the fundamentals and the policies and building out a roadmap that's sustainable and, and building out a team that's dependable and reliable, um, whether that be internal or external. Des, can can I ask a yeah. question? You, you mentioned something there that I see a lot, and it's the when you yeah. have turnover at the strategic level, right? It, it's almost yeah. like people go back to building the foundation, but the whole idea of policies and processes and having a waterfall and building up from a framework is so yeah. companies don't have to do that. What, why do you think? Why do you think that it is that when you have those CSER turnovers or those VP turnovers that people feel like they have to go back to the basics? Honestly, it's uh, my experience has been like there. They, there's a key man risk in a lot of in a lot of organizations, and that key man risk is often the CISO. Um, so uh, this comes from like this stems from all right. Well, we have policies, but only the CISO is maintaining the policies, or only they know where the you know the doc X files of those are. But the PDFs might be somewhere else, but no one has any idea how to update them or how to uh, how to get them out and get them published and reviewed. Um, a lot of the KPIs and the stats that are being produced for the business are also coming from the same person or you know uh a person underneath them so like a lot of it does does underpin or does the linchpin a lot of the times is the CISO or the or the managing part of, of, of the security space um and it's just that lack of again like maintaining that fundamental state like if you uh, i completely like jason i completely agree with your like with your position on like the tools like i've never most of the time i get into an organization i start take i, I take a look at you know the product link the product landscape and then i start pulling out the stuff that's not important and just building out like what do i actually need to do to maintain this organization as a whole right now that if i were to leave it would it would turn over um and that's you know that's often like you don't really need to go out and buy expensive tooling like you can get you, know, you can you do that through sharepoint sharepoint has a ton of automation as much as people hate sharepoint it has a lot of you know free automation and tooling in it that you can utilize for that um i also you know it it's it's just that consistency and lack of documentation lack of centralization and it tends to it tends to um be a linchpin with the um with the CISO. Yeah, if I can jump in just uh, for comments on both of them. Uh it's like the 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 building from the ground up. Yeah, you we can put in all the tools and have all the rules in place, but if we yeah. don't get the buy-in from our users because our users are our biggest risk, but they're also the first line of defense. Yeah. Um and if we don't have their buy-in, we can lock everything away and then a user just hands them the keys to the kingdom and come right on in through all the protections. And then um, regarding the the going back to the basics, yeah. I know in our organization, I've definitely tried to make sure that I'm not the only one that understands where all this is, where all the information is coming from. Um, so that should I happen to to leave, you know, being out here in Colorado, getting hit by a car or a bus while you're out riding your bike uh, is, is a real possibility. And I want to make sure that if something were to happen that, okay, yes, Pawnee does not have to step back to the very beginning and restart stuff and go back to the basics and resume the journey that we started six, seven years ago. 
it's it's as you said the key man make sure that the key man has a backup so that you are not going back to the basics but i tend to see that okay a lot of people have the tool set that they like to work with so you know if, if i were to switch organizations or jason were to switch organizations it'd be interesting to see if we switched our jobs how much of the tool set that we currently use would follow us to the new organization yeah that's a, that's a very good point that is you know it sounds like um it sounds like the three of you are kind of like um all talking about like the idea of buy-in because mm -hmm. you know when it comes to let's just say policy creation um, that's great. And it's wonderful to have documents that, uh, you know, somebody in an organization looked at once and said, sure, yep, I approve these. And then they go and they sit in a Google Drive and the reality of what those policies are encompassing are never like truly um, kind of pushed through the organization from an acceptance standpoint, right? Um, so it's, it's interesting, uh, kind of coming back to security, um, kind of not, not to go too far here, but um, Jason, why, why do you think like, I, I have an idea here, but why do you think buy-in around security is so challenging when you, when you look at buy-in from other departments that make up an organization? Why is it that security is, uh, is, is just, I don't know. It's, it seems to be difficult to get, uh, a true culture acceptance from an organization around adopting security. Security is a basic principle of what we feel is important. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So it, it reminds me of um, years ago, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, as as we date ourselves, uh, I, I had the opportunity to work with a large uh, beer manufacturing company, I guess is what you might call them. Nice. And uh, yeah, I, I worked with... Uh, a company we we handled the IT for a company that that handled a lot of the security consulting, and I once asked them because you know we'd get a lot of pushback on different IT initiatives and IS initiatives, and you know the the way it was explained to me back then was anything that does not help this organization get a can of beer out the door just falls by the wayside, right? It's not a priority, and so you think about security, and it is something that. For most companies, unless you're a security company, it's not necessarily something that helps you get a can of beer out the door. Um, and I, I think that's at the surface level. Uh, you know, when it comes to really getting that that buy-in and and why it doesn't impact the way that maybe like marketing, advertising, legal does, is even as much as we see, breaches happen we see these dollar figures going up i you know you mentioned the average of the four point what three five million something uh, like yeah. that i i was uh writing an article a couple months ago and and the research is suggesting that the overall cost of uh cybersecurity breaches and just data loss and all that is i mean it's if you compared it against the gdp of an actual country it's number four or five i mean it's crazy how much money goes into this but, you know, I think a lot of people are complacent just in the sense of either it's not going to happen to me or my data is already out there, so I don't really care. You know, and you you need these really tangible examples to kind of jar people. Um, and I don't know that that still happens enough. And and I hope it doesn't continue to happen, right? I, I hope we, we, you know, continue to act as the wall against that. But yeah, it it just seems like, 
there's still an opportunity for education and there's still an opportunity for almost advertisement of how impactful this can be to a business uh, because it, it either seems like you're a business that, you know, look at someone like Equifax, right? They had that huge data breach. Did it really affect yeah. them though? Yeah. Right. I, yeah. And, and so that's kind of what, I don't know that that's my opinion on it, that maybe there's just still an education or an impact issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if Equifax is such a good example. I mean, they don't have a monopoly on credit bureaus, but there's only three companies that do credit bureaus, really. Absolutely. Right. So right. You kind right. of still have to use them. Whereas yeah. if you get a small organization that has a data breach, okay, they've lost their customer's trust, their information could be uh, encrypted and they may not get it back. Smaller organizations are definitely at, uh, I think, a higher risk than enterprise organizations because if they're they're not going to have the money and the skill set to necessarily do everything, but if they do get hit, they have a bigger chance of going out of business. Yeah, very fair. You're absolutely right. I mean, it comes down to right, like your risk appetite. And I think Lee, you were talking about this at the beginning of the call. Um, you know, your organization, you guys understand that a data a data breach is a significant risk to you right now, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, how does an organization react to that? You put the necessary controls around you know, the data and what you want to secure, you make sure it's robust and, um, you know, it's in the forefront of your mind uh, you know, security is a journey. It's not just a one, a one-time fix all you're constantly, you know, maintaining and improving the measures around, uh, you know, that data to make sure that you guys are, you know, in the best position to avoid a hack or a breach or something detrimental. Yeah. I mean, we, we look out, we have, we have executive buy-in, but we still have to fight with our users to understand why we do these things. Why do we, why do we have password requirements? Why do we make them change them? Why do we do simulated phishing tests? Um, all these, uh, why does security, why do they have to go through these extra security steps to be able to access their data? Yeah. It's, it's, it's finding that, as you said, that risk appetite between, okay, how easy can we make things, but how secure can we make things? And we had some examples where we had some middle of the middleman attacks where we had communication going back and forth with a vendor saying, okay, we will pay, we'll send the money for this equipment to your bank account. And the vendor got hacked and man in the middle changed the bank information. We sent the information out and hey, lo and behold, the vendor's going, hey, where's our money? And we go back, well, we paid you three days ago. And a vendor is out 60, 80, 100, $120,000 when we have something like that happen. Yeah. We had it happen. It wasn't our employees that were directly responsible. It was the other organizations had gotten gotten hacked and had people reviewing their information and their, their data transmissions. But when our employees started to see that happen on a more consistent basis, they realized, okay, yes, data security is something we really need to do. We had uh, a, a gentleman in our organization used to complain every time we would send out, out a phishing test. But after having several examples where those phishing tests had helped save us money, he's now one of our greatest proponents. He's just like, yeah. the work you guys you do is great. You're helping protect the company. We need to make sure everybody understands this. Yeah. So it took time, but we've definitely gotten the point across that everyone is involved in helping to protect the company. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that's just sorry, just to go off that, like, um, it, I think it's just going back to that, like, 
the fundamentals, right? Like user awareness training and phishing training is is not like it's very integral, but it's not you know it's not rocket science. And there's so many platforms out there that offer it, but uh, it's I mean the number one way still in organizations. Like you, I mean you look at the Dropbox uh, hack two days ago, right? It was a it was a phishing email to um, to someone that had admin rights that. Um, yep. Anyways, like it's it's the same thing, right? It's it's always business email compromise. It's phishing. Um, I literally had someone say to me yesterday, like, "Well, if it's spear phishing, like, forget about it. We're not like we're not even going to try to prevent that." I was like, "What are you talking about?" You know, like, um, it. But it's all it's end user training, and like one of the things that I had happened um, a few months ago was I was working with a company, and they were they were basically like uh, they were fintech as well, and they were basically saying like these users have access to you know trading data but they don't actually know what they're looking at so to them it's just a bunch of numbers that they literally pull down the sheets they look at the numbers and they basically say like oh commas in the wrong place or like it's missing a dollar sign that's why we can't like the application didn't process it and then you know they discard the data after they fix it re-upload it but like it turns out like they didn't actually know what they were looking at like their process was fix the csv upload it back into the product let the product take in the numbers but like the issue is that data is incredibly sensitive to somebody in the wrong hands and they just don't even know what they're looking at so like just even taking it back to explaining to your users like what the company actually does as a fundamental like fundamentally and like why that data they're in possession of is so important um it was just kind of like i, I don't know it was kind of eye-opening to me because i just i assumed that if you're working for a company you kind of fundamentally understand what it is that they're doing that's not that's not always the case scary yeah, I mean, for the last two years, um, going back to that IBM report, um, the number one leading cause to a data breach is uh, is compromised credential. Yes. No, uh, it's no secret. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you you could kick off all the phishing and training awareness uh, that you want, uh, but at the end of the day, if if the buy-in isn't, uh, if if I guess you don't have the buy-in from your users that this is valuable, and instead this is annoying. Uh, <laughs> then you're really, you're not, I don't know that you're really uh, bridging the gap towards gaining, you know, gaining a, a more secure user base. Um, and that, that brings up a really good point because we've tried to do education. Um, and we, we try to make sure people understand that the security is a fundamental part of their job. And we try to reward them. Um, we've gone away from the, okay, you know, you failed the phishing test. We're going to make fun of you. You're going to, you're going to be harassed and, and, yeah. Have to, have to take additional training. We've tried to go more toward the positive reinforcement. Um, we do something here that it's no cost, but it's a great tool. We give out we give out security gold stars. When somebody does something that is great or um, helps protect the company. Okay, somebody gets an email that they're not sure about, they submit it to us, we do, we do our research and, you know, we run it through virus total and it comes back with 25 engines saying, Hey, this is a, a, an infected email or an infected attachment. Somebody like that, that's where we're going to give somebody a gold star because they've done the good thing that they need to. Or when somebody reported the example that I used before, where the, the bank account information had changed, somebody reported that rather than just following through on the, the change, saved the vendor $120,000 because the bank, the money went to the right bank. Little things like that is what you can do to, to reward your, your customers. We give out $25 gift cards a couple of times a quarter to, to related to security awareness training or people who don't get caught by phishing tests. Uh, for cybersecurity awareness month, we did a trivia contest and the couple of people that got the most things, most questions right got 
um, gift cards. I think we gave away 100 or $150. There's no real expense to having a positive um, reinforcement on your cybersecurity, but the negative detrimentals can cost you so much more. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it, listen, it's, it's, it's education and it's buy-in, right? And it, it's not it's uh it's also maybe a mind change uh, a mind shift and that's not easy it's not easy to to get uh you know a mature organization a mature workforce to to change l not not specific on security I just mean in general so to kind of uh bring security maybe something that's not uh as tangible for somebody to really wrap their mind around as far as why they're so why they um are an integral piece in the organization staying secure um i think i think that's awesome that you guys do that um, that's really cool. Um, I haven't heard of that. Well, I'll say Lee, my guess is that a few, uh, Starbucks gift cards, probably a lot cheaper than that 120 grand, right? <laughs> oh, that, that, or the 4.35 million on a data breach. Yes. Right. right. Well done. Well done. <laughs> um, I, Jason, I want to toss it back to you. Um, going back to making things tangible, digestible, right? Um, you know, when you're talking about infrastructure, vulnerability, pen testing, um, I'm not saying they're the, the the most difficult things for someone to wrap their mind around, but if you're outside of the security landscape, maybe sitting on a board or you're in a C-suite and you're trying to get buy-in, um, these aren't like, I don't think they're typical things everyone uh, kind of understands. It's not language that everyone is kind of coming across every day. So I have found it effective when organizations can consistently report on risk. Um, it just, it kind of demystifies and, and disarms the conversation. It makes it tangible. You're talking about a specific instance. Um, and then, you know, if you can, you associate a dollar amount to it and you kind of show the way you can kind of, you know, work down that, that risk and kind of make an organization less vulnerable. Um, have you ever seen an organization effectively report on risk? Do, is that something you do? Um, just curious what, how you think about that. Yeah, I'm certainly a part of that process. And, you know, I, I think Lee said earlier something regarding just, you know, security be, being ever evolving. And, and I think that's true for risk reporting, risk attestation, risk identification. You know, there, there's always probably more work that can be done there. Um, we've come at it uh, a little bit different to trying out a couple different approaches. You know, at the end of the day, we're a product company, right? We have an app. So, we have a lot of product managers. We write a lot of product specs, things like that. And we we use uh, the press release FAQ approach for our products. And so we've started testing a little bit of doing that on the security side as well, where, you know, some of these things like pen testing, right? It, it can be hard to, if you have to go, as you said, sell it to a board and, okay, if they don't understand what that is, or if they don't understand how it's different than uh, vulnerability, you know, detection, things like that. So we start coming out of, okay, well, let's tell a story, right? And so I'm a big fan of storytelling. I, you know, working in IT, working in data analytics, these different areas that traditionally can get pretty complex, right? If you're not in them, I think it works just as well as information security and risk management of really building a story that's a hypothetical, right? So, yeah. you know, you can tell of, hey, do you want this press release that is from the New York Times about our company? And this is what they're saying. Well, this this blurb here, right? Pen testing can help mitigate that, and then this blurb here, uh, data loss prevention, right, can help mitigate that. And so, setting out those risks as these are a, a tangible, most press release of if we don't identify them and we don't properly handle them, this is what this is what 
is going to be said in layman's terms, right? And so that that's something that we're kind of trying out here and seeing if that helps get, you know, just additional buy-in and, and getting people saying, okay, I don't understand what you're doing during the pen test, but I understand this is the risk that it helps mitigate. Yeah. yeah. Stas, I'm curious from your perspective. Um, I know you've had a couple different stints as a CISO, um, you know, and it's, you know, specifically in the financial service industry, but, you know, when it comes to reporting on risk, um, kind of how, how can an organization that's not doing it, how, how can they kind of wrangle that? Uh, it's a beast. It's a big, it's a big thing to do. How, how do you kind of, what, what are your thoughts around it? Yeah. Um, um, generally, um, what I would, the way that I would approach this is, um, I, I tried to create uh, repeatable automated reports that I could produce to, to the C-suite at any given time, especially if, if the organization wasn't doing what I needed them to do. I'll give an example of that. So for example, you know, we, we are responsible for doing assessments on, you know, uh, internal systems, making sure, you know, the right users are in the right place that people, you know, uh, the right limits on trading systems are in place. And, um, you know, we're, we're making sure that the the vendor uh supporting the product we stay the product staying up to date it's being pen tested all of that stuff um the having having that data and being able to report on it and see it in real time to see which systems you know which systems are being effectively managed which ones are not and then being able to quantify like well this department these users specifically of the business owner and the system owners are really you know are, are really lacking in their ability to be able to do this and that's not necessarily put blame on them but just say hey this is an this is an issue and part of the business um, and being able to quantify like this is the risk that imposes the business. Same thing from the risk side as well, right? Just being able to um, to show the you know the inherent risk of the business with no, with no uh, mitigation in place as it currently stands versus what needs to be done, and being able to quantify the spend and to be able to show that the results of that. Much easier said than done. This takes this takes a while to get to this to this position, but like that's incredibly valuable. And I've only seen that you know a, a handful of times in a handful of organizations that have been able to actually quantify to that to that level, but it's extremely useful. And it really just pinpoints exactly the focus areas of the business and where it needs to mature. But there's so much that has to go in before that, be able to produce those separate reports. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that's a great question. Um where that's kind of the the next step in our cybersecurity journey is how do we more effectively report on the risks that we have, the mitigations that we put in place and how it protects us. Yep. And that's actually one of my 2023 initiatives um, is to, to come up with some better reporting. We do get analyzed on a yearly basis by our corporate audits. They they go through the financials, but they also look at our IT structure and our general controls. And there's always reporting that comes out of that to say, OK, have you met the requirements of your policies? Um, are there examples that they found when they were doing their data sampling where we didn't follow the policies or where policies um, failed to protect us. So we get those, but that's a one time a year report. They need, they need to be like, they need to be exactly. in real time. Right. And exactly. like the issue, the issue that we were having um, is even when you're, because I mean, if somebody, if somebody has an answer to this question, I think that, you know, they'd probably be the richest person in the world. Yeah. <laughs> they'd be in, in competition for uh, owning Twitter right now. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> like just being able to actually quantify risk to a business, right. There's no, there's no tool. Like there's no automated way of being able to say like, besides like, you know, running like a CIS benchmark against like AWS and saying, you know, all of this stuff is not, not configured correctly, but like actually being able to quantify, like, you know, we have users that are not, you know, that are susceptible to BEC. We have, we've got users that are, you know, not paying attention. We've, you know, like to quantify the risk that is a social risk or, um, 
a risk to the business that it, it, it requires manual input, manual descriptions, manual, uh, you know, this is what potentially could happen. These are the options. And then somebody actually has to go and, uh, you know, pick what they want to do and, and how far they want to mitigate it. Um, but then also just getting consistent updates on that. So like monthly updates on what's happening with the risk, like all of this stuff, like, again, it's like, it's going back to like the earlier point, like Lee about the policies, like, well, I said this, but like, you know, it's the boring part that nobody wants to do, but it's essential to the business. This is also essential to the business. And it's yeah. just going back to that, having the fundamentals down and having a process there to, to keep this up. Uh, and it doesn't require fancy tooling. It just requires, um, it just requires that process. Yeah, yeah. And we just implemented a tool to help automate our penetration testing. So we can do them more on demand whenever we want to, rather yeah. than the requirement that we have that is once a year. Okay. Well, if we, if we do a penetration test in like April and our auditors are looking at it in December or January, the following year, there's been yeah, nine right. months that have happened since then. That was a point in time test. We were secure then, are we secure now? We won't yep, know yep. that until our next test. So right. it's, as, as you said, it's, it's taking the measurements and the tools that we use and using them better, more consistently, getting better reporting out of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, I'm uh, I'm really appreciative of your time. Uh, I know we're coming up on time shortly. Uh, I just wanted to turn it over and see if there was anything that uh, anyone wanted to expand upon, ask each other um, that we didn't get a chance to discuss at this point. I've got a question. I don't know if you both have experienced this or not, um, but there, there's a lot of people trying to break into the industry. Like there's a lot of people that are like, I'm just seeing, you know, uh, you know, on LinkedIn and on Reddit, just people just really trying to get into the information security space. Um, and they're just really struggling with like entry level positions because they're not, they don't really, uh, there aren't that many entry level positions. Everybody wants someone that has 15 years of experience. And I'm just wondering like what your take on that is, or if you've had any experience with uh, taking on, um, you know, yeah, no, uh, novice uh, uh, information security folk. For for me, it's not necessarily novice information security folks. It's just novice IT folks in general. Um, yeah. I definitely have uh, tried to help out. Um, it's I think it's it's finding the right company and and somebody that's willing to take a chance on you. Um, I, right. I we're we're a small organization. We're 160 people. Our IT operations and security team is five people, and two of the two of the five, including me in that five, um, I brought in with little to no practical experience. They had the the fundamentals, and in talking to them, they had the right attitude, the right skill set, and they were eager to learn. So I'm like, all right, you know, as long as they're fitting with what we need, we can train them. And I'll tell you, the, the two that I've brought in, one's been here seven months now, one has been here uh, about a year and seven months. And man, they are sponges. They are just trying to learn everything they can. In fact, the, the guy that's been here seven years is, we've passed a lot of our security operations and um, just the, the, the general day-to-day -day tasks to him because he got a cyber, he had a cybersecurity degree, but he needed that experience. It's not a cybersecurity position. It's a systems administrator position, yeah. but we've tweaked it so that it's focused more toward his background. Yeah. And I, I know there's a lot of people out there. You, you've got to keep plugging and try to find the organization that, that I said will hopefully give you that chance. Yeah, like Lee, 
I, I've seen this really across the entire IT you know, infrastructure, not just information security. And I've had really great success with people that, you know, they want to break into IT, they want to break into IS, they're willing to learn. Um, and, you know, decades ago, I used to bring people in for, you know, 20, 30K, right? And then they could very quickly build up compensation, they could build up experience. Um, what I'm seeing a lot recently is that we, in information security especially, it it's not a position I think that you can just step into with someone who likes to work with computers at home, right? That type of person can step into IT and be successful. That's not true in information security. Yep. You do have to put some time in, you either have to go get a certification, you have to have prior experience. Um, but at the same time, you know, when when I was in managed services, we'd have this conversation with companies if let's say we're going to do a VMware project or a project over here and say, the person that you have on staff, is that the first time that you want them looking at that technology is your production system? So yes. from a selling point, right, that, that was for us then. Well, now I think about it in the same standpoint of we're all so overworked. There's so much to be done. You, anyone you're bringing in, you quickly want to be able to handle hand off a lot of experience to them and a lot of to-dos and a lot of asks. And you can't necessarily guide them through all those pieces. That doesn't lend itself to that intern, to that it's my first information security job. And then I also do see a lot of people that because they went and got that certification, they do have in their minds of, well, this should be an 80K and 90K, 100K position right out the gate. And that that's just not true. And there are a lot of smaller companies that need these people, but they just can't afford those prices. Yeah, that's a real, I mean, that's a really good point. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Lee. Yeah, the, um, sorry, the, the, the other guy that I mentioned, the one that's been here about 18 months, 20 months now, um, he was, literally finishing up his degree when i interviewed him when we did our final interview he was graduating um that following weekend so he he had had practical work experience i mean he he changed industries a couple of times he'd gone back to school he had been helping things out so yeah it was he had the general it experience but i didn't bring him in necessarily for cybersecurity. it was just it was more the general it experience in in uh that he had but I took the approach when I was interviewing him instead of saying, okay, tell me about the experience you had from your job. Tell me about the experience you had from school. And he mentioned a couple of papers he'd written. And I had him, one of the papers was setting up the cybersecurity for a new company. So I had him send uh, send me a copy of it so I could look through it. And in reading through that paper, 90% of the things that he mentioned in that paper was stuff that we were doing in our organization. So I was not afraid of bringing him in because he was showing he at least had the fundamental skill set. And as yeah, Jason yeah. mentioned, getting that 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 uh, certification, having some way to show that you've at least got the fundamentals, I think is the key. Yes, you're not going to get a 80 or 100K a year job with okay. just the fundamentals, but yeah. you're going to have the basis to grow into and really get into a position that you can have a career in. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, as I mentioned, I had a I had a, a whole discussion on this topic. We're actually we're going to post it uh, later today uh, for everyone to kind of have access to. But one of the things I thought was great that was brought up was, um, you know, differentiating yourself. And at, there, there's a lot of software and environments that you can tinker with that are free. You know, you can download an AWS instance and build it and break it and, and do what you need to do. 
and at least give yourself um, some experience uh, that, you know, you're not, Jason, to your point, working on a production environment, uh, looking at it for the first time. Um, at least maybe it's the second time, you know, you kind of, <laughs> oh man, this was, um, this was great. Well, I, uh, again, I can't thank the three of you enough to make the time. Um, and this was a great discussion. Uh, thanks again for being a part of it. And uh, we hope to include you in some future discussions that we have. Thank um, you. Very nice to meet you. Thank you. Thanks, y'all.